Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're speaking on Wednesday, March 29th, 2023. It is just a few days before the start of the new New York State fiscal year, and there are ongoing negotiations in Albany among Governor Kathy Hochul and the two houses of the state legislature with the Democratic governor and two Democratic supermajorities considering a very wide range of issues and proposals and spending priorities as they look to craft a new state budget by or around April 1st. They are debating and negotiating spending and savings, tax rates, climate and energy policy, education funding, the charter school cap, bail reform, and other criminal justice policies, increasing the minimum wage, mental health care, and other public health matters, CUNY and SUNY funding, and much, much more. But perhaps most notably and importantly in budget negotiations, and at or near the top of Governor Hochul's agenda for this year, is housing. Early this year, Governor Hochul unveiled what she's called the New York Housing Compact, a wide-ranging, ambitious, and controversial plan that she says will create 800,000 new homes over the next decade across New York State. It has a number of planks to it that we'll get to in just a minute, but the overall motivation behind the plan stems from the fact that New York has a deep affordability crisis, especially related to housing, and the state has not come close to ensuring that housing production meets demand. The state has not produced housing to keep up with job growth or to compete with neighboring and other states around the country and so on. So as state leaders are negotiating housing policy, that's where we're digging in again today. And my guest is Ruth Ann Viznowskis, the commissioner of the New York State Division of Housing and Community Renewal, sometimes known as HCR. She's also president and CEO of New York State Homes and Community Renewal, a similarly named entity that is made up of the New York State Housing Finance Agency, the State of New York Mortgage Agency, and the New York State Affordable Housing Corporation. Simply put, Commissioner Viznowskis runs the state's affordable housing agencies and programs with the mission to build, preserve, protect housing, including affordable housing, and increase home ownership throughout New York State. She's been in that role since early 2017, appointed by then-Governor Andrew Cuomo, then retained by now-Governor Hochul, who took over as governor in August 2021. Commissioner Viznowskis has prior experience, among other places, in New York City government, including as commissioner of the city's housing department. Along with developing and pitching the current housing compact plan that's been proposed by Governor Hochuland is now the subject of those intense budget negotiations. HCR is charged with carrying out the state's $25 billion five-year affordable housing plan that was passed in last year's state budget that aims to create or preserve 100,000 affordable homes across New York over those five years including 10,000 units of supporting supportive housing for vulnerable populations. We'll touch on how that ongoing plan coincides with the housing compact proposal here in just a minute. So just days before the start of the new fiscal year and the loose budget deadline, that's April 1st for the governor and legislators, it is crunch time. And this is the governor's marquee proposal for the future of New York State. And I'm very pleased to be joined by her housing commissioner, Commissioner Ruth Ann Viznowskis. Thank you for being here. How are you? 
Uh, thanks for having me. I'm great. So let's start here. Uh, I, I gave just the very broad strokes, but will you please define the problem that you set out to solve here with crafting this housing compact plan? Uh, how do you define for people the issues, the problems, the deficits that you're looking to solve? Uh, thank you for the opportunity to sort of unpack what is a complicated thing in some ways, but also is very uh, clear and understandable for people who live in New York and have and feel all the challenges of trying to find housing and trying to find housing they can afford. So there's a couple things going on, right? One is that we in New York State and in New York City do not produce housing at the same level as our peers. So that's true. New York City, New York City trails well behind Boston and Houston and and Austin and Miami and you know all of our sort of peer states around the country all produce housing um, at a greater per capita rate than New York City does. But it's not just New York City; it's our suburbs also. Um, and and while we maybe think of cities as places that grow, suburbs also need to grow because lots of people want to live in suburbs. And we see that in Nassau and Suffolk and Westchester and Putnam. All of these counties have granted fewer building permits than what I would call sort of their per peer uh, suburban counties in Massachusetts and Connecticut and New Jersey and Pennsylvania. So our cities are behind and our suburbs are behind relative to our, relative to our peers. And the stat that we use to sort of explain how that plays out a little bit is that when we looked at the last 10 years, we saw that New York State created about 1.2 million jobs and created about 400,000 units of housing. So a big gap between jobs and housing. So it's significant in that it's a gap, but it's also significant because when we look at northern New Jersey, we saw that they created 200,000 more units of housing than they did jobs. And when we looked at Connecticut, they created about 50,000 more units of housing than jobs. So our gap is big, but it's relative job housing gap is big, but our gap is also big relative to our peers. And so we need more housing to get produced in New York State. Do we know how much of the much talked about issues with state population loss uh, and, and especially population loss relative to other states that have been growing? And we know, you know, again, New York continues to lose every census seats in the House of Representatives. Now, that's a decades long trend, but there's a lot of attention on this question of population loss or uh, you know, even in New York City, which has been growing uh, questions about growth rate. Some of that relates to international immigration, of course. But in terms of these issues of out-migration, do we know how much housing affordability and the availability of housing and the lack of housing growth uh, to keep up with some of the trends you mentioned, do we know what role that plays? So I think we look at it really in a in a um, in the, over the long time frame. So I think that while we look at some of those um, census uh, data pieces, um, when we look in aggregate, the I don't think anyone who um, certainly lives um, in New York would say that um, they don't see sort of the housing pressures uh, in their locality. This is uh, true in rental housing in terms of rent rates. It's true in homeownership housing in terms of price appreciation. I think we've seen in the last 10 years um, an appreciation on rent and homeownership prices that are well in excess of what we saw in the decades before that. So it would be sort of unnatural to have, you know, to sort of conceive that we are losing so much population and yet our housing prices are growing so much. So I think that they're, well, I think those two things can be true that that the census is what the census is, but the pressure in our housing uh, market is so um, great that it, uh, if, and it's been growing for so long that if we don't really project over the next 10 years, really significant growth in that, irrespective of our population, it's not the, the, the pressures 
uh, are not going to relieve themselves without something changing. So let's go over some of the big planks here in the in the proposal. And then, of course, we'll talk about some of the ways that people have been critical of it or pushing back or saying there's pieces that won't work for them in different places or questions. Um, but in terms of the, the big planks here, um, there are the idea of sort of mandatory growth targets and mechanisms mm-hmm. to help achieve those. And those are for localities, uh, different numbers uh, for downstate and, and for upstate. Um, there's removing certain barriers to housing production. There is uh, rezoning to uh, encourage more transit-oriented development around uh, MTA stops, whether it's subway or commuter rail. Um, what are the other big pieces? I'm, I'm throwing a few of them out here. I have the list in front of me, of course, but what are the big planks that 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 people should know and understand that you are saying these are really the key pieces to get to this goal of creating this target number, this necessary number? Uh, and maybe I'll ask you a little bit about how you sort of got to this target number. But what are the key planks that people should know about? These are really the key pieces to get where we believe we need to go to sort of really address this problem. So I would say a couple of things. One is we looked at what other states had done. So just in terms of building up to how we got here, right? We looked at New Jersey and Connecticut and Massachusetts. Um, we looked at what happened in New York State over the last 10 years. And as I said, we saw that there was about 400,000 units of housing getting built. So we assumed if all else being equal, nothing changes, we would get that same 400,000 units over the next 10 years. So the three um, uh, sort of pillars that we talk about, the three strategies, and I'll talk about them in a second, is what takes us from the 400,000, what we call kind of organic growth, to this 800,000 unit number. Um, so the so the delta is an is an additional four hundred thousand units, mm-hmm. and we get there three ways, as you said. One, this notion that every community has to do their part. We're going to set growth targets across the state: three percent downstate, one percent upstate, um, and that's going to create we think about one hundred fifty thousand units over the next decade. Um, then we look to transit-oriented development, which has been something that has been implemented in lots of places um, in the U.S., also internationally, to make sure that there is density around transit. New York also has spent a, uh, an enormous amount of money in commuter rail system, um, and so it makes sense to make sure that people that can access um, are using that commuter rail system. And, and one way to do that is certainly to have mixed-use, multifamily residential rate in walking distance of a train station. So the second pillar is We want everyone who has an MTA station to allow residential density around that train station. Um, You know, this is going to happen over time for sure, but we want the, we want the the zoning in place to allow for that. So we don't want to have commercial only or industrial only for, for example, next to our train stations. We think over time that could create about 190,000 units of housing. And then the third one uh, is what we call um, incentives and sort of regulatory changes. And the sort of third bucket is made up primarily of uh, legalizing basement apartments in New York City, uh, allowing more office conversions in New York City, and then some tax incentives that we think will drive um, uh, affordability and housing production. So sort of that's kind of that third bucket. So these, and that's about 50, 60,000 units. So we get to the 400,000 units by adding up our projection of what we think, the growth targets, the transit-oriented development, and these other um, regulatory changes will produce over the next decade. Now, a key piece of this proposal, this plan, is the idea that um, localities 
must meet these growth targets. Now, in some in some senses, you could argue, and plenty of experts have, these are modest growth targets. These are not revolutionary. Some people treat them as such. And, and there's room for, of course, understanding people's perspectives about, you know, I live in this community and I don't really want it to change in any big ways and discussing some of the nuances of that with them. But um, a key piece of this is localities must meet these growth targets. Otherwise, there are things that kick in to ensure housing growth when there might be localities that just aren't taking the steps necessary sort of on their own to meet these targets. Say a little bit about those mechanisms and why they are necessary in your view. Um, right. So there's sort of three routes that a locality can take. One, they can just grow in the three-year time period. That's great. Um, the second option is that they can rezone. And we laid out in the legislation a series of zoning actions a locality could take. And we think these are zoning actions that would then create more housing um, to be built. Or, or in some places, a locality might not, their zoning might not permit enough housing to grow. So these would do that. So if you grow or if you take a zoning action, that's great. Then we have an enforcement mechanism that would say for communities that will do neither, they will neither approve any permits or they won't take any zoning action to allow more as of right housing, then we felt we really had to have an enforcement mechanism. And I can talk about other states' experiences with that. And so we said at the end of a, either a three-year or a six-year period, if you haven't done any of the actions and you haven't grown, um, then we would allow, if a developer then went and uh, applied to a locality for a building permit, for land use permit, whatever the local action may be, and they get denied, we would provide a place for that project to appeal and say that this denial was unfair because this town has not met its growth targets and they haven't done anything to allow as of right housing. So that's really the sort of the enforcement mechanism is creating this um, uh, uh, an appeal process that the developer can utilize. And it's in the proposal, at least, uh, may, called uh, the new uh, State Housing Approval Board or uh, a court a court process. Um, yeah, so... But if, I was going to say some states have done either a court or they've mm -hmm. embedded it in their housing agency. And we decided to propose both so that mm -hmm. there'd be sort of two venues over time that could act as this sort of appeal function. Right. Well, since since this idea of including both as sort of an or um, has come up here, say a little bit about sort of the broader and maybe we'll get back to some other pieces of the proposal in a minute. But say a little bit about the broader approach here. This is something the governor laid out knowing it's a proposal. She's not able. She wasn't able in in January or at any other time to sort of wave a, a magic wand and and put this into action. She obviously needs the legislature for virtually all of this. Um, so that's where we're we've come to now after lots of uh, negotiations, public and private, and debate, public and private. We've come into this sort of crunch time, at least for the state budget deadline, where lots of things get compromised on. And this is something the governor has wanted to include. So say some say a little bit about sort of the the governor, your the you know, the executive branch's approach to putting forward this proposal and negotiating it with stakeholders. Obviously, the decisions would be made with members of the state Senate and the assembly, but there's lots of other stakeholders. So say a little bit about sort of the process of pitching this to people, talking with them, hearing more concerns, taking those into consideration, approach to negotiation. Um, how's that gone? And, and what's the administration's overall approach to that? 
Um, so I think it's fair to say that we have been, I don't know what the right analogy would be, but like on the road since January 3rd, uh, I think it would be, uh, I should add them up, but I, I would say we've probably had between 50 and 100 meetings with um, local stakeholders, community boards, uh, assembly members, council members, Senate members, um, business councils, um, uh, legal aid organizations. I mean, I know sort of you can name it. And I've been, we've done it in uh, Binghamton. We've done it in the Hudson Valley. We've done it in Finger Lakes. We've done it in Westchester, in the Hudson Valley, in Long Island, in New York City. So we have um, really tried to talk to every single person um, that is a sort of vested stakeholder in this in this process to get input. And it's been great. I mean, that these processes don't always uh, have a place in the regular sort of course of business to be out sort of getting input on policies. Um, and so it's been, um, uh, we certainly have gotten our fair share of criticism on it, but I would say just so by and large, we have been extremely open to what people, A, to explaining what this is, because it's a little complicated, and then really taking real feedback about what really works and what doesn't work and why people like parts of it and why they really don't like other parts of it, uh, making sure they understand the things that they don't like. And, we, and we've gotten, for example, people saying, what if nobody wants to build in my town? And we would say, that's okay. This is really only in the case where you aren't growing and you aren't zoning and someone wants to build and you don't allow it. But if nobody wants to build in your town because you're not in a growth area of the state and that's fine, then there's no impact. So we've we've been, um, I think it's been helpful to be out explaining to people what it is and what it isn't. Um, and we have taken all of the feedback um, very seriously. And as you know, you never go into budget with a proposal and come out with the exact same one, or maybe some people do, I don't know, but I don't think that's generally the course of business. Uh, and so we went into this fully expecting that we were gonna get a lot of input and that changes would happen through the course of that. So in a good way, I think we feel like we understand what people's concerns are and where there's room for negotiation on things. We have a lot of thoughts about how we could change this to address real concerns and or when people raise things that we can at least say, we've thought about that and that's why we didn't do it that way because this is what we think that you know would result in. So it's been a great process. I, I, um, I really appreciate everyone sort of in, that we have uh, talked to that has taken their time to really sit listen to my sort of dog and pony show about what this is and then give us, you know, sometimes very spirited conversations, but other times just really constructive, thoughtful conversations. One of the things going back to what we were discussing, one of the things that of course must come up in many of those conversations is this idea of requirements uh, and of this appeals process, this idea that has become sort of uh, part of the discussion around these proposals and these negotiations, the idea that, you can't have all carrots, no sticks, that you have to have some enforcement mechanism. Otherwise, there's probably a lot of places where uh, the sort of status quo went out, uh, the forces that are anti-growth, anti-development will win out. Um, so what's the, um, what's the biggest sort of way that you are able to rationalize for people, explain to people, here's why this uh, mechan these mechanisms are included and are are necessary uh, in in any uh, any package that's going to come together and, and really work. So I think there's sort of two pieces to that. And one is that both our housing finance system in this country and sort of our zoning infrastructure in this country has not been um, kind and has not been perfect in its history, right? You don't have to dig too deep into sort of housing history to 
um, to see why uh, there are large concentrations of poor and uh, black and brown families in cities who are not allowed to go to suburbs and why, you know, there's there's sort of the, the structural issues that unless we're really talking about a state level approach to something that has been in our housing system for, and it's not just New York, it's the country, and it's not just the last 10 years, it's the last 50, you know, 80 years, um, that that you can understand that there has to be sort of like a higher level, strategic, more broad framework to address something that is very embedded in a system that, again, sort of nobody here and now created. It is a product of uh, the history of um, housing policy in this country. But I think second to that, and maybe less sort of soapboxy, is that you know New Jersey and California and Connecticut, Massachusetts, and uh, lots of places have had these types of policies in place for a lot longer than we have. We're a little late to the game here um, in New York, although we like to be first in most things. We are not when it comes to this. Um, and so we had the benefit of talking to those states, to their um, their government officials. We had the benefit of talking to people who've studied those states and what they have and they've studied across different states. Um, and all of them, you know, told us really in, in stereo sort of surround sound that incentives did not work. And when they started with incentive-based approaches, they changed them over time to mandates because they did not get the housing that they wanted. And I think it's fair to say that that, you know, would play out. I don't think New York would play out any differently than anywhere else would, that if we just incentivize places to change what they've always done, you know, it's sort of likely that we may not get housing in those places that have, there. Are, you know, there's, there's many towns that have not issued a single building permit in the last five years that are a you know, 20 minute commute from Grand Central, right? It's not like these are places where people don't want to live. Um, so I think we felt it was really important to make sure that there was a um, a mandate in here to make sure that that housing does get built and that all localities feel like they are on the hook to solving this problem, not just saying, you know, let's let Yonkers and New Rochelle fix it or let's let, you know, Hempstead fix it. Every locality has to do their part. Sometimes I can, as many people I think can understand, if there's uh, lots of construction for housing or whatever else on your block, it can be disruptive or even nearby where you live, uh, that that can be you know something challenging to sort of live with during construction and and maybe even afterward if you're you know adding uh, hundreds of new people you know nearby and and uh, you know there there can be challenges with that, but. Overall, I've been sort of a little bit mystified by this idea and this sort of narrative that more housing is a burden uh, and that sort of people have to be convinced that housing, you know, more housing in their general vicinity, in their town, in their village, in their borough, in their city can be a bad thing. How do you um, how do you sort of combat that mentality? How do those conversations go when people sort of only talk about housing as a burden and is have you found any success with a particular uh response to that is there anything that makes people go oh that's an interesting thought that i haven't really thought about or or anything like that how do you sort of combat that mentality and has anything worked in all these discussions around it i mean i think one of the ways that we try to frame this is that there is need across the spectrum so for sure, people who are currently housed in a place they want to be and stay feel very, um, uh, you know, comfortable and don't worry about um, and are maybe as a true point are, are annoyed by construction next to them. Um, but I don't think they have to go too far to be thinking about um, or, or or know someone or see someone right who either um, are 
I don't know, their parents who want to downsize into an apartment and get out of their house, but there's no apartment for them to move into. So they're sitting in like an oversized house or parents whose kids can't find anywhere to live, but, you know, and and want to stay in Brooklyn or they want to stay in Westchester, whatever. And there is no, and I hear this in Long Island all the time, right? Um, uh, where kids want to come back and live near where they grew up, but there's nowhere for them to live. There's no starter apartments um, where, and, and we all know, right, where, and in, in, in certainly when I was in Long Island a couple of different times, you know, workers who are commuting two hours to their job uh, because there's no available housing anywhere <clears throat> on the East End. And so it's creating a traffic issue. It's a housing issue, right? There's uh, the issue of uh, town saying we, can't, we don't have any volunteer firefighters because we have no people who want to come do that, who can afford to live. So I think if you expand the conversation to be not just sort of about you, but is it your you know, is it your kid getting an apartment? Is it your sister or brother who just had a kid and they actually need a bigger apartment? They can't find one. Is it the town with a firefighter? There's like a million examples. Um, I, I was giving one for a little while about um, some friends of mine and their kids were all renting apartments in uh, Jersey City and Hoboken, which, you know, is great for New Jersey, but it's not great for New York. And we don't want people sort of start getting settled those places. They don't always come back into New York, right? If you start in Jersey City, you may go continue to go west into New Jersey and into the suburbs. And so we need, um, uh, I don't, so I don't think you have to go too far to hear um, people say that they know somebody who can't find housing and that in fact, more housing is good for everybody. It's always going to be a little bit of a, I don't want in the building next to me because that means construction. But, mm-hmm. um, but I think if we can contextualize the conversation a little bit, it helps. What's something that's come up in a lot of these conversations that you or the administration generally is hearing and 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 taking in and saying, you know what, that is something we really need or, or are open to adjusting as we try to come to a deal with the legislature here. So I think one of the early things we heard was, um, what about places that have already done this and have been good actors? And can we provide some sort of relief for them? And we said, of course, that would be a totally logical thing that if you're, it has two impacts, right? One is if you've grown a lot recently, then your sort of growth target target is already a little high because you've already done all that great growth. Um, uh, and two, just like if we've, if our, if our growth spurt was last year or the year before, it feels unfair to us to then impose a growth spurt, you know, for next year. So, so we worked to do sort of a little bit of a look back and to say, well, if you've grown in this period and we heard like, it'd be great if you could extend that even more, or if you could, um, if we've taken other zoning actions, could we get credit for that? So we heard in a positive way, a lot of people saying, we are doing this and we like this. We just want to be able to get some credit for things that we've done mm-hmm. in the past. And we thought that was a totally fair um, you know, thing that we would certainly be willing to to, to change and to modify. It can't That's apply right. to too many, too many places in New York State, can it? Well, Six, look, we heard six it, or seven um, New York City neighborhoods, maybe. Yes, it, but we heard from those folks, right? And they yeah. said, you know, Manhattan Community Board 4 was someone who said, uh-huh. like, we've we've permitted so many housing sure. units. The South Bronx is another one, right? So there are places where mm-hmm. we felt that was a, a good policy. Okay. Um, what is the what is the status of the negotiations with the legislature? The legislature, both houses put out their one house budgets. Um, basically they stripped out just about all of the housing compact, except they said, we agree with growth targets. We don't want to require them. Uh, they wanted to add incentives. We already spoke a little bit about your perspective and the research and, and so forth on only doing incentives. Um, but also many in the legislature said, we sort of stripped a lot of this out, but we know that's sort of 
now going into negotiation. I had State Senator Liz Kruger of Manhattan, the finance chair on the show, and she sort of said, this was our perspective. We were, we weren't saying, you know, by any means, this is sort of our final offer. This is the, this is going into the next phase of negotiations, but there's a lot of legislators who obviously are pushing back on the idea of mandates, um, mandated growth targets, uh, overriding of local zoning, uh, this question of removing local control. So how, where does that conversation stand and how do you get to uh, an agreement? Um, so I would say a couple of things. One is we have tried very hard to reframe this at, out of the local control and out of the more mandating your zoning. We really are, uh, we want you to grow, right? We need every suburban town to be adding housing units. And I'm sure you've probably read or seen, right? For 80% of localities in New York state, this is less than 50 units. For a lot of localities that are very close to a Grand Central commute, it could be 10 or 12 housing units a year. Like we feel this is really not, um, uh, and, and we are basically telling, play, and we are sensibly telling places, <clears throat> you can put this housing wherever you want in your town, right? If you want it to be homes or apartment buildings, if you want it to be townhouses, or you can grow in the way that makes sense for you, but you have to grow. Um, and so, it, so I think, you know, to, to your point, I think people and the legislature agrees with the premise. Um, I think we are, we feel very uh, strongly about the mandate and that without that, this is not really a policy that is going to have a lot of impact. And frankly, that we don't have a lot of time to do what other states did, which is work this out over the course of the next decade and maybe get to a mandate then because the housing crisis is too real and too severe for too many people. So um, we you know, remain ever optimistic that we will get to a a framework that includes um, the mandate, but you know, obviously, we have some days to go and see how this gets worked out. But we really think that's a fundamental part of it. Is is the transit oriented development piece the biggest must in in from your perspective? Uh, is it sort of the a non negotiable that uh, at, at the very least people need to agree that around mass transit stations there needs to be more housing density? allowed, encouraged, required, is that, I mean, I'm just sort of throwing this out there, but it seems like one of the most logical things to me, at least, is that one of the sort of non-negotiable sort of top of the list things here? You know, I think we went into this thinking that the transit-oriented development piece of this would be the easier part because it is something that is sort of nationally and internationally recognized as good policy. Um, but I would say we got um, as much or maybe even more um uh, constructive feedback on uh, TOD as we did the growth targets. So we don't, um, no, I, I wouldn't say we feel like that's sort of our must do over the growth targets. You know, they each have their um, benefits to them, right? And the sort of growth targets, it's really great to have every locality around the state growing. Um, obviously, those localities can choose to grow around their train station. They don't have to grow somewhere else. So it, it doesn't, doing the growth targets certainly doesn't preclude that we get some real successes in TODs should that not be part of it? But no, I don't, I don't, so I don't think we have a hard line in the sand there. Mm -hmm. um, this is obviously compromise season. The legislature wants uh, housing vouchers to prevent or uh, reduce homelessness in different ways. Uh, there's a lot of spirit in the legislature around uh, good cause eviction protections. There's a push in the legislature for rent relief uh, for rent arrears at NYCHA, public housing. Um, what are the sort of pieces that the administration is saying 
hey, work with us on this and we'll work with you uh, on that. I mean, is it is it coming down to that uh, level of things yet where you say we we need to play a little bit of hardball here? And as much as we like the spirit of some of these other things, we're taking a statewide look here and and we we got to do this, you know, for that, how does how does that happening here as we enter the the final days? Although we don't know when a budget will be passed, of course it could be weeks. Um, but let's just say we're in the home stretch here. Uh, well, certainly, I don't think we're in the eleventh hour, uh, despite it uh, being um, close to that date. Um, so I think there's still time, and I think I think everything is still on the table, and everything is still moving. We certainly have not heard anything getting shut down or precluded. Um, as you know, as you mentioned, those several sort of policy issues are. Um, very important to the governor as it relates to sort of where you started around housing and and bail reform and some of the other topics. So I think at the moment, all that everything is still on the table and the legislature has introduced, um, you know, sort of formally HAVP. And then there and certainly the um, rental assistance has been um, in discussions for quite a while. So I would imagine that those things will stay in the conversation and, and until the end. And, and as I said, all these um, nothing comes out the way it goes in. So I think <laughs> still to be determined uh, uh, where we end up on all these pieces. Do you see this as a multi-year effort? You know, the governor has said this publicly, you know, I, I, I put something out there, I might get a piece of it, I come back for more. Is that how you are thinking about this? I know you just said, we don't want to come back in five, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to take it, to, you know, we don't want it to take a decade to get to a place where everybody realizes we got to do mandates. So how do you how do you think about this as a sort of potentially multi-year process or is it this is the governor's top proposal and we got to go big here because we're already behind? So, you know, look, I think when we set out the sort of net 400,000 units, we did it as a really comprehensive framework to say this is what we think the need looks like over the next decade. We think we need to basically double the production from 400,000 to 800,000 um, there are a lot of things in that menu of whether it's the targets or the TOD or the basement apartments and the commercial conversions. We didn't intend them as a menu to be, you know, to pick and choose from to get to 800. It's sort of the menu that we need all those things to get there. However, if it ends up getting um, uh, pieces of it fall out, other people stay, we sort of know what they'll produce. So at least we can feel comfortable saying it's not like if we do one or two or three of these that we're not going to get the same outcome, right? Or sub three, sorry. But if we only do one or two of them, we're not going to get the same outcome. We're going to get less production, um, but that's okay, right? I think if we move forward and we understand what it is, if we if we agree that the need is is an additional four hundred thousand, but at this time we want to pass a piece of that, um, then I would assume the door is always open to come back and to pass other pieces of this legislation in future years or, or modified versions of them. So um, I think as long as we're sort of eyes wide open that we, if we pick from these things, we can't expect to get the same outcome. We would get a modified outcome. We're in our last two minutes here with uh, Commissioner Ruth Ann Vesnauskas, who is the state's housing commissioner and has been uh, among the leaders, of course, spearheading the governor's uh, housing proposal, the New York Housing Compact. We've touched on a bunch of the details. I encourage, you know, we're not getting to every single piece of the proposal. We're not getting to every single piece of the debate. I encourage people, of course, to read up on all this, things the governor's put out, the legislature, uh, lots of articles in the news, lots of opinion pieces. There's plenty to read uh, that we publish at Gotham Gazette and elsewhere. Um, but last couple of questions for you, Commissioner. appreciate uh, the time here. To dig in again, one one more 
time specifically on the suburbs where you have Democratic and Republican lawmakers saying on Long Island, saying in some of the northern New York City suburbs, this proposal would drastically change the character of our uh, our neighborhoods, our communities. What's the direct response to that? Is it, hold on, you're way overstating this, or or what? What? How do you how do you respond to that when people sort of call this, um, you know, something that's uh, going to totally change the the character of where where people currently live? So look, everywhere I go, everywhere, but especially in Long Island, the number one things people talk to me about, and of course, I'm the housing commissioner, so it's a little bit of a, a biased group, but is the need for housing, right? Like everywhere I go, and it's just sort of what I was saying earlier, it's, you know, housing for young people, it's housing for seniors, it's housing for families, it's really across the spectrum. So it is hard to go everywhere and hear that and yet have towns that are have building moratoriums, have towns that have not issued any building permits when when there's both a need and there's all these people who want to live in the suburbs, right? And so we aren't saying that we're trying to bring the city to the suburbs. We are simply saying we want the city, the suburbs to grow. And that's not true in all cases. And we don't want suburbs that have won't allow any additional people to move into their town to continue to be able to do that. It's not good for New York. It's not good for our economy. Um, it's not good for the state as a whole. And so we aren't asking anybody to change their character. And in fact, I was out in um, in Patchogue and the governor's out there too, maybe about four or six weeks ago, and they um, have added an enormous amount of uh, apartments right around there. I think it's maybe 700 or 900 apartments, I think is the number in the last five or 10 years, right around their train station. And it's incredibly vibrant downtown. There are a ton of restaurants. People say you can't even you know get a reservation anymore on a Friday night in a, in a restaurant downtown. Coffee shops are full, the businesses are thriving. And so that's really an example of growth that I don't think anyone would say has ruined the character of Patchogue. I think they would say it's actually made it a wonderful, great place to live. And that's the kind of thing we're trying to get localities to replicate is there's great examples of people that have built around their train stations or have built, you know, townhouses that are more affordable and provide seniors a place to downsize. And those seniors then go into town and meet their friends for coffee during the day, or they, you know, they do other economic activities that makes those towns, you know, wonderful places to be. So that's kind of what I say. I think when people sort mm-hmm. of imply that we're trying to change the character, which is not at all what we're trying to do. And lastly, I saw, um, you know, these reports in city and state and elsewhere that the governor had sort of really focused in at the start of budget negotiations of the of the home stretch here on bail reform. And it made me and I think others immediately go, oh, I thought housing was perhaps her top priority to try to get to a deal here. Can you capture for people where getting some very significant progress on housing and some significant chunk of the housing compact in these negotiations, where that sort of ranks for the administration? Is there a way to to capture that for people? Oh, I think it's incredibly important for the governor. I certainly think that, you know, reporting isn't necessarily always reflective of of everything that's going on. Um, We are incredibly busy um, ourselves uh, working on different aspects of the compact, other things that the legislature um, is raising. So I would certainly have no doubt that we are um, fast and furious um, on the housing front as well. All right. We will. Oh, I got to ask you, uh, I mentioned Senator Kruger and people should listen to my conversation with her. But then in a follow up interview with Cranes, New York, uh, she said something about let's let's do housing outside the budget. Is that something the the administration is is receptive to or how important is it to do it in in a budget deal to get as much of 
a housing deal as you can in the budget process. Is that is that the way yeah. you're thinking about it, or is that something that you're receptive to because of the complicated nature of what's involved here? So, I, you know, we heard, we proposed in the budget, the governor did um, two pots of money, um, and I get to touch on these, but one, it was $20 million, which localities could apply for grant dollars to help them do the planning. They can hire consultants, they can use the money for, for staff, whatever they may need to be able, and, and we understand that lots of small towns don't have professional planning staff, um, and so they need that kind of assistance. So we feel like it's really critical to get that um, funding in the budget now. Um, second to that was a $250 million allocation of infrastructure capital dollars that would be um, awarded to localities who have sort of but for infrastructure, you know, can't don't have housing development. And we certainly heard everywhere we went, you know, issues around um, water, issues around sewer. Um, how do we pay for a structured part? We have parking lots, but we need structured parking. And that's not really an economically sort of viable thing to build necessarily. Um, so we said, great, let's put out, you know, funding for that. We've heard that it's not enough. And I think the governor has said it was a down payment um, on the need. So I think we feel that between the 20 and the 250, which probably will grow, and this really is, and that's so tied into the compact and into freeing up housing production that we want to, and even the legislature has come forward and said, maybe not as an ad, but I would characterize as an ad that we should also have incentive dollars so all those things, to, from my perspective, seem very much tied up in a budget conversation that this these housing policies are very much uh, related to the dollars that are in the budget. So I think it has to get done now. I was just going to say, even the both houses of the legislature had more in in, in the infrastructure fund uh, had had twice as much. So that's obviously something that's uh, that's being discussed there. All right. Thank you very much for the time. Ruth Ann Viznauskas is the commissioner of the New York State Division of Housing and Community Renewal, the state's housing commissioner. Thank you very much for the time. I'm sure that you're uh, in, in high demand here, so appreciate you taking the time. And uh, good luck over the coming days, hopefully not weeks for all of our sake. <laughs> and, Thanks, uh, and we'll be in touch. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Thanks.